Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Okay. Okay, we got a lot to cover now. Remember what's been going on, okay? Let me kind of give you some background. The Bible tells us, and we'll read it here in just a minute, that John is on the island of Patmos, okay? He's been exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, history says, not sure where it is, but it says that, that, that they couldn't keep John quiet, and he kept preaching Jesus, and he wouldn't be quiet. So Eusebius uh, basically tells us that John was actually boiled in oil, but he didn't die. Like, the Lord supernaturally intervened. Now, we don't have any record biblically, but that's what history tells us. And because he didn't die, what do you do with somebody like that? You exile him to the island of Patmos. Well, Caesar, Domitian, you guys remember Nero was just a weirdo. And then, I mean, this dude was just crazy. And then Domitian comes in. And Domitian, if you recall, he he wanted to persecute Christians, right? Why? Under, and I wrote this down, under President Domitian, right, under Caesar, he wanted a one-world religion. That's what Domitian wanted, one-world religion. Now, your mind is going, because you go, wait a minute, isn't that what the world wants? We want a one-world currency, we want a one-world government, we want a one-world religion, we're in it right now. But it's the same thing that happened. Uh, Domitian wanted a one-world religion, and so what he required people to do, including Christians, he'd take a little uh, pinch of incense, and here's what he would require you to say. You need to say that Caesar is Lord. That's what you would say. It's showing your allegiance to the government. Hello? Well, the problem was, is that if you're a Christian, you couldn't do that. Because Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And the saying of the day was, Jesus is Lord. Kind of like how we say, you know, praise the Lord. Hey, Joe, did you get a report? Praise God. Amen. That's kind of how it was. But now the government steps in. He says, hey, you need to say, Caesar is Lord. Mm, I can't do that. I can't do that, right? So what does John do? He gets exiled to Patmos. Okay? History lesson time. Think about this for a second. Patmos, guys, is a small, everybody say small, rocky, forbidden island, okay? Small, it's rocky, it's forbidden in terrain, so it's really hard to walk on. Think about this, it's about 10 miles long, 6 miles wide, so it's not a very big island, okay? It's kind of like Gilligan's Island, but not as, not as pretty, it didn't have a lagoon or anything else. You go, Ben, why are you telling this? Well, because we know through history, and Victorianus, the historian, said that John, though he was aged, he didn't just go there to sit. They actually forced him to work. He's, he's up in age, and they actually forced him in labor in the mines located there in Patmos. So he's working. He's working. Now, Here's what I want you to put on. Put on your thinking caps, okay? Ben, 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 Ben. You're telling me that John, for preaching Jesus, was was exiled to the island of Patmos. It's small. It's hard to get through. And then not only that, but he's up in age, and he asked, he's forced to work. And I would say, guys, these, for John, man, they were really bleak circumstances, weren't they? It's like, think about it. Hey, man, how do you want to spend the last days of your life, man? 
in, a, in the mines of Patmos working. Why? What did you do, man? You must have done something. I just, I preached Jesus. This is, and I'm thinking, dude, this is. So, so what? Well, think about this. He's shut off from his friends. Okay? My boy didn't send me a text message today, but, but, man, can you imagine not getting a text from your friends? He's shut off from his friends. He's shut off from really that human fellowship. He's super bumming. Or is he? Think about it. Guys, think about it, okay? John on the island of Patmos was given the most extensive revelation of the future things to be shown, right? Shown to any writer of the New Testament, okay? That's what's going on. You know why we get depressed? We learned this on Sunday. We get depressed because we filter life's events through human eyes, through human understanding, and not through God's. Take those events back and filter them through God's eyes and go, oh, why? Because think about that. There are a lot of people probably right now that, that feel like, Ben, you don't understand. I'm through, I'm going through it right now. My life is similar to Patmos, man. If you're talking spiritually, I'm in Patmos. How so? You go, well, let's talk about our spiritual life. Like Patmos, it's small. It's small. What do you mean it's small, man? Well, not much going on. Okay? No real friends. I don't have really good accountability. Like, I open my Bible. Come on. Come on, somebody. I open my Bible, then I have my phone next to it, and then all of a sudden I find myself drifting to the phone. Now, I know none of you would do that. So my spiritual life is small. Doesn't have a whole lot of depth. Or, or maybe you feel like your spiritual life is rocky. Okay? It's very hard terrain. Like, your marriage is on the rocks. The job is on the rocks. Your faith is on the rocks. Like, like they're very sharp rocks that cut. You're, you're feeling like that in Patmos. Or maybe for you, you're in your spiritual life. It's hard to walk. It doesn't seem like you're getting, you can't move forward. And, 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 and in your spiritual walk, if you will, you have twisted ankles and it's very laborious and, Oh, did I mention that island, that the, that Patmos was an island? What's, what consists of an island? There's water all around it. So maybe your spiritual life feels like that. You go, what do you mean, Ben? Man, like, you feel like there's water all the way around it. And if you look past tomorrow, you feel like you would drown. You go, dude, that's deep. The good news is, guys, is if you recall, even though John was there, this is where he received his greatest blessing. As we remain faithful, and that's my plea to you tonight, remain faithful to God. He is our hope. And, 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 and there is no other. What did he do? Jesus began to reveal himself in ways that, that, that we cannot fathom. Okay, you ready? It, it is time to play step on toes, right? You go, why? No, no, no. Here's why. Listen, we should all have a desire to grow. We want to grow in the depths of our walk. We want to know Jesus. 
We want to know him. We want to follow him. We want to, I want to be his disciple. I want to be one of the guys that follows him around and I, I, I want to smell what he smells. I want to be part of the crowd. I, I want all of this. But I can't do it when there's so many things distracting me and pulling my attention away. And so now I got to look at those things in my life that are robbing me, come on somebody, of that blessing. What's robbing me of drawing closer to the God that created me? What's rob- what are those things, those little robbers in our life? We go sit down, we open the Bible, we get ready to study, and then the phone rings or somebody comes in. I mean, it's always, and it's constant. It's constant. What's robbing me? What's robbing me? That's where John is. Now, again, I've entitled this message, Back to the Future. And you go, why? Well, tonight we discover that John will be catapulted to the future. We will see Jesus like never before. Now, remember, last week we said this. If you study and search Jesus through the Gospels, what is he often portrayed? He's often portrayed really meek and mild. Except for that one time he got really, really angry and he turned over some tables and he got a whip of cord and he drove everybody out. But most of the time he's healing folks and he's loving on folks and he's, you know, and he's, and, and, and he's raising people back to life and he's just great. And that's how the gospels present him. But tonight we see him, guys, in a totally different image. Now, remember what Colossians says. If you want to know who God is, Mel, you want to know who God is? Study Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. You go, okay, this is going to give us a good description of who Jesus is. It's going to be so amazing. Now, remember, after the resurrection, okay, after the resurrection, what does he do? In John chapter 20, verse 17, he says, tell Mary not to cling to me, right? Why? He says, for I have not ascended to my father. He hasn't been in his glorified state. But now, John sees this vision. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? John sees this vision of Jesus in all his glory. Now, here's what I've done. I've broken this text up into three points, okay? So if you're taking notes, now why do we take notes? We take notes not for us, but for somebody who might be left behind. God willing, nobody's left behind. But here's what we do. Three points. You ready? The voice, the vision, and the veneration. The voice that John heard, the vision he saw, and the veneration John gives. You go, Ben, what does veneration mean? It means worship. It means worship. So the voice, the vision, and the veneration. That's where we pick up our study tonight, guys. Looking at Revelation, guys, look at verse 9. It says this, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing that jumps out at us, guys, and if you're a note taker or you don't mind writing in your Bible, the first thing that comes out, he says, your brother and companion in the... What's that word? Tribulation. Underline that word, right? You go, why? Because if you look it up in the Greek, it's thalipsis. T-H-L-I-P-I. 
uh, P-S-I-S, thalipsis. And you go, what does it mean? You can write next to this. It means pressure. It means afflicted or affliction, anguish, burden, persecution, tribulation, or trouble. That's what he says. That's what he says. This is John saying. John goes, hey, here I am. Here's your brother, your companion, and I am in Thalipsis. And you know what I thought? If we're being really honest, guys, there's going to be uh, Thalipsis for the word of God in our lives. When we truly demonstrate the love of Jesus and shine the light in a very dark world, there's going to be thalipsis. There's going to be those tribulations. There's going to be that pressure. Listen, I get it. I get it. And I say amen that we live in a very conservative city, and I know there's a lot of people in my city that love Jesus. But I also know that it's a very dark place. And I also know there's a lot of people in my city that don't love Jesus. And when I begin to show the light, guess what happens? They don't like the light. They don't like the light. They don't. And that's where the, that's for where the, well, let me give it to you this way, okay? In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 12. This is not a verse that we put on a cup, on, on, a, on a coffee cup. Why? Note what it says. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Amen, right? Could you imagine? Uh, what's your verse of the day? I'm going to be persecuted because I love Jesus. But, but really, when we desire to live godly, guys, when we desire to live godly in Christ, when we want to walk, everybody wants, man, I want to walk closer to God. I want to walk closer to Jesus. I want to be close. I get it. Me too. But the Bible says that you're going to be persecuted for that. Okay, this is not a pretty world. We're outcasts. We don't belong here. We're sojourners, and that's the thalipsis you're gonna, we're going to see. So what does John say? He says, I, both your brother and companion, in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I'm on the island of Patmos. Now, guys, the island of Patmos, just if you're taking note, just think about this, okay? It's close to Ephesus, which is the first church we're going to talk about next week. Okay, John spent the majority of his time in Ephesus. Paul write, wrote the letter to the Ephesians. So we know a lot about Ephesus. It was a thriving church. But now he's in the island of Patmos. He's left that. So what's the first thing you see? Well, if you're taking note, let's talk about the voice. Let's talk about the voice that John heard. Look at verse 10. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as a, as of a trumpet. And this voice said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To who, Lord? To Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That's what he says. This is okay. So that's the voice he heard. Now let's break it down, guys, because this is incredible. Okay. The first thing we learn, he says, the day. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. 
Now, that's what John says, but the Greek text actually renders it like this. I was in the Spirit unto the day of the Lord. Huh? Okay, okay. Now, let me give you two school of thought. Okay, this is because uh, because you have you have opposing people on that. Well, this is what it means. This is what it means. Okay, whenever you hear you say the Lord's day or the day of the Lord, those are two different things. Okay, so first school of thought is some people go, oh, I, I know what verse ten is talking about. He said John wrote this on a Sunday. That's the Lord's day, right? And of course, it's an interesting idea. Okay, because a lot of commentators go, yeah, I think John was referring to Sunday because he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And we tend to use that the Lord's day was on Sunday. Okay, you go, how did we get that? Because a lot of people know the Sabbath is on Saturday, but he resurrected on the Sunday. And so they made that the Lord's day. You go, okay, sounds good. Notice what John says. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, but the problem for us, guys, is that every day is the Lord's day. It's every day for us. Because Galatians says we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't what, lift up one or another. But he also says this. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he says, walk in the Spirit and not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So every day we're walking in the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Okay. Here's what it means. Yielding myself to the Spirit, guys, resulting in fruit or in the flesh, giving myself to passion, lust. Or, that's what it means, guys. Yielding myself to the Spirit. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, where do our minds go? Our minds automatically goes, oh, was that Sunday? We're focused on the day, but what we should really focus on, guys, as believers, is that he was in the Spirit. And when what he means by that, guys, he says, man, I was yielding myself to the Lord. I was praying unto the Lord. I was, it was resulting in, I was giving myself to the Lord. You are his creation. You are. Don't you love it when you get alone with God and you worship him at the time when it's just you and him? The world thinks you're crazy, but this is who we should be. I was in the spirit. Oh, this is so good. It was so good. Guys, don't 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 be robbed of being and spending time with the God that created you. Don't get robbed of being so busy and so I've got it. it, it you miss those times when he speaks to you so well. The enemy, the enemy comes to kill, to rob and destroy, and, and that's what he wants to do. Let me give you the second school of thought. The second school of thought, people believe, is that John is referring to the day of the Lord as an Old Testament prophet, okay, prophetic phrase. That means that John was actually transported by the Spirit unto the day of the Lord, okay? John could be saying that he was catapulted into the future where he saw judgments, battles, and though, and through, there, that's what he saw himself. That's what he says. So some people believe, hey, it's Sunday. Others people, no, 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 it's futuristic. He, he was actually catapulted into the future, and he saw all of this. And you go, Ben, where do you, where do you stand? Where, where, what do you think it is? I believe it could be both. Okay? Why? 
Because I believe John is transported in the spirit from the natural world to the supernatural world. And the spiritual world, and this could have been happening on Sunday. I believe it's both. So we know that John is transported by the spirit into the spirit world. He catches a vision of the Lord and of basically his plans for the future. Now, let me just say this to you, okay? I know there's a lot of us stressed out with COVID. I know there's a lot of us stressed out because it just doesn't seem to be going away and we've had people that have died and we're afraid to get sick and, and, but here's what I want to remind you. Don't take God out of the equation. Remember, this is his show. Can I get an amen? amen. This is his show. It, it, it not, COVID didn't surprise God. Okay? He's not going, oh, what's going on? God knows what was happening. He knows how man is. And he's going, okay, this is my show. This is my show. I'm going to show you my plans for the future. This is what's going to happen. It would behoove us to line up with God's will. We'll be a lot more happier when we're lined up with what God wants. Okay, Lord, where are you? I'm there. I'm doing that. Okay. That's where I want to be. I want to be lined up where God is. Okay? So, when he talks about the day of the Lord, it's spoken many times in the Bible, and it refers to, check this out, an intense judgment upon the world followed by joy. I thought that was interesting. An intense judgment, okay, followed by joy. That's the day of the Lord. We know that is the tribulation period. But if you are almost done reading your one-year Bible, which if you would have started with me back in January, you'd almost be done. We read today in the book of Joel. But there was a plague, and it hit me because the word of God said plague. There was a plague, and then there was a famine following. And one of the things I thought is, oh, Lord, is there going to be a famine following this? And he quickly relieved my fears because it was a plague of locusts they had eaten. And, I, and it just assumed to me the locusts had eaten everything, and so that's what created the famine. But every time we hear plague, I'm like, Lord, we're in a pandemic. We have a plague going on. Was, Lord, what's, what's, what's going on? But this is what he's saying, guys. This is what he's saying. Okay? It's going to be a time, the, the day of the Lord is where God is going to deal with the nation of Israel. You understand that? Okay? When does the day of the Lord begin? The day of the Lord begins in the rapture. Okay? Begins with the rapture and it concludes at the end of the millennial reign. That's the day of the Lord. You guys with me? You guys with me? Okay? Because it starts with the rapture. Now, the tribulation doesn't necessarily start with the rapture. Where are my Bible students? Where are my Bible students? Where does it start? It starts when the Antichrist signs the peace treaty that we found in the book of Daniel. That actually starts the tribulation. The rapture could happen any time. Here's why. Many people are going, we don't even have a third temple. We don't even have, we don't even know who the Antichrist is. We can, we don't even know. We're not even close, but no, no, no. See, the rapture can happen at any time, but the tribulation doesn't start until the signing of the peace treaty. Could be, how, think about it. We could be raptured today and, and, and the tribulation might not start for another year or two. You guys tracking with me? You with me? You, you, you on, you on board this train? But the day of the Lord starts here when we're gone. Okay, Alex is high-fiving me on the way up. Yes, but it ends over here, guys, 
after the millennial reign, after the thousand-year reign. Okay? That's the day of the Lord. So John says, on that island, in that prison, he says, I heard a voice. What was it like? What was that voice like? Mel, guess what? It was like a trumpet. And I point to Mel because Mel knows how to play the trumpet, man. Ooh, he came with the mariachis one time, and we were having a great time. He can play the trumpet. Were you playing the trumpet? You're playing the trumpet. Weren't you playing the trumpet? You, oh, you was playing the guitar. But you had trumpet players, didn't you? Do you know how to play the trumpet? There you go. Vato does. Yeah. Vato. There are people out there. I was like, who is Vato? Damien. Why a trumpet? Why a trumpet, guys? Why a trumpet? Why was the voice like a trumpet? Because trumpets were used significantly in those times to wake people up and to get them ready for battle. Wow. Basically, the voice was like a trumpet, guys, to call, to wake, to, to wake up for people to pay attention. Okay? I find that interesting. John, the writer, he hadn't heard that voice for 60 years. But it's not the same voice. Because when he walked with Jesus in the garden, he heard the Lord Jesus' voice. Hey, John, follow me. This is different. It's a trumpet. It's a trumpet. You see, the trumpet was always a sense of urgency in the voice. It was always. And that commanded God, John's attention. What? Are you kidding me? So what did John do? John did the right thing. What did he do? He turned to see. He heard the voice and he turned to see. What do you think he saw? Guys, think about it. Think about it, guys. Put on your thinking cap, right? Because many events in the last few months are like that trumpet wake-up call. They are. Right now, something that would you should have never taken place has taken place. Turkey, Iran, and Russia are all friends on the, on the verge to attack Israel. Right now. We don't know anything about that because we're constantly bombarded with, with the, the local news at home. I understand that. Get it. Okay, quick survey. 90% of our, of our conversations, we talk COVID, don't we? It's, it's changed. 90% of our conversation, it may start out, hey, how's your day? Numbers, and you're just like, man, I understand that. That's, okay? But if we're about to go to war, whatever that means, spiritually speaking, whatever it means, I think this is the wake-up call. This is the alarm. This is the sound. This is the sound, guys. We also know through, through the Word of God, guys, that we've had earthquakes around the world. The last one I read of was in Syria. A big major earthquake just happened a few, a, 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 probably a week ago in Syria. Big major, 4.1 on the Richter scale. You see, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. It used to be where we had a few in a year, and now there's probably so many we don't even count them anymore. We don't even count them anymore. Years like this. Oh, what was that? Earthquake? Okay, go on. It's gotten so commonplace, right? But the Lord told us that. 
And I mean, and, and, and even think about this, guys. Think about your, your local area. Man, you go, what? I think we're sounding the alarm. Why? Because we think about Lubbock, Texas. Guys, when I moved here, there wasn't hardly any murders. There wasn't like gang members. There wasn't thefts. There wasn't any of this stuff. And now, I see that. I see that. But I also see, you know what I see in the eyes of my people? Fear. It breaks my heart. I also see hopelessness. See, the voice that John heard was a wake-up call, guys. The voice that John heard was a wake-up call. The sounding of the alarm. In my spirit, your pastor, I feel like, I, I really do. When I say this, I'm going to keep saying it, man. I feel like we're, we're, it's, the Lord could come back at any time. We're, he's, we're, we're, now, let me just say this to you. I've never felt like that before until this year. Well, Pastor, it's just because, it's just because it's COVID and you're, you're, no, 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 no. I just know. I just, as I seek the Lord and I know his word, I just know. We have to be right. It's a wake-up call. A wake-up call. What does a wake-up call do? It gets your attention, right? Now, if you happen to have to wake up by alarm, some of us do. Some of us just wake up automatically. But if you have an alarm, I mean, what's the first thing you do? Get up out of bed, right? Yeah, let's go. Rosa's like, no, we snooze, don't we? Have you seen those things where it's the, your alarm is like, wake up, five minutes later, get up. And I mean, you have like 15 different alarms just to get up. Boom, boom. But, but, but don't do that with the Lord. If we can see what's going on in the world, guys, don't hit snooze and go, man, let's just go back to bed. It's, it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call. Nothing and I were talking about this the other day. You know how, how I talked to a pastor friend of mine, and he says, you know, my wife feels like it's the, it's the birth pangs. You know, the, I said, we're not in birth pangs anymore, man. We're full-blown labor. I mean, this thing is coming, okay? We're at the hospital, and uh, yeah, that's how I feel, and I feel this is what he says. Here's the thing, guys. John turns around, he hears the trumpet. It's, you guys know what it's for, and I feel like many have responded to John to the trumpet blast turning to the Lord, making sure their hearts are right with him. Many people have come, yes, I want to me, right? Right? Many people, Joe, many people feel that sense of urgency. And so they're praying more. They're open to opportunities. Um, and and they, they, they say, God, what do you have for me? I don't want to play around anymore. What do you have for me? Now, let me just say this. You all are called into the ministry. I don't know if you realize that or not. When you gave your life to the Lord, you joined the Lord's army. You're called into the ministry. You come here to get equipped so that you can go out and find those opportunities. 
So God's going to put people in your path, at your job, at your work, wherever it might be, that you're able to share the hope that is in you, the love of Jesus. That's your ministry. I go to work every day. I don't... No, no, no. He has you there for a reason. He has you for a reason. <clears throat> but also, sadly, check this out, church. Sadly, many others have not turned to see the voice. But have foolishly ignored it. I think about that. So we have this major pandemic. We have the world going crazy. We have the election. We have this, we have this, we have this. And there's a lot of people going, eh, don't worry about it. It's cool. It's all right. And they don't see. And when you talk to them, they're just, they don't hear the trumpet. They, they don't hear the alarm, guys. The sound. The sound, guys, of his voice was loud like a trumpet. This is what it was. And, and, and think about his voice. Think about the Lord's voice, okay? Um, this startled John. What? Whoa, right? You see, sometimes God's voice is soft. In a still, small voice when he speaks to you, you know that voice. You can feel it. That's, oh, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. Other times, his voice is overpowering like Mount Sinai when God thundered his voice to Moses so much that the children of Israel are like, we're not going near the mountain. <laughs> we're good here. Come on. No, Eric, tell you, let him talk to you and you tell us what he says. That's how it is. But that's the voice. That's the voice. The second thing I want you to know about the voice as Jesus' description of himself, what does he say? He says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. I am. Did you guys catch that in your, in your Bible? I am. See, I am is the covenant. This is the covenant, okay? The name of God that he gave to Moses for his people. What, who, who should I say sends me? Tell him the I am. That's all he says. Tell him the I am that I am sent you. Wait, oh, time out, Lord. You want me to go to the Egyptians? And, and you say, well, who sent you? What power do you walk in? The I am. You want me to get killed? He goes, no. Tell him the I am who I am sent you. Why? Because it signifies the Lord as becoming one. I am. And I love that. Why? Because think about this, guys. Whatever your need that's what the Lord became to his people. Whatever their need was. You know what they needed at that point? They needed the I am. And that's the same for us. Listen, today he is the I am. He is the Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. Anybody have a hard time with that? God, are you going to provide? He's just like, I've taken care of you this long. He's also the healer, Jehovah Rapha, our healer. So Jesus identifies himself as the I am for all times. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the first. He's the last. He's everything in between. That's the voice. The second point is, what's the vision? Okay, so let's talk about the seven churches. What's the vision that John saw? Look at verse 12. 
He says, then I turned to see a voice that spoke with me. Okay, John, what's going on? And having turned, he said, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his head or his feet and girded about his chest with a, with a gold band, his head and hair were like wool, as white as snow. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if he refined in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. And he had on his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. Your attention, please. Can you imagine what John just saw? Time out. That's not the Jesus I saw. (laughs) Last time I saw Jesus, he was, he was going to heaven. He was, he was ascending. And even before that, Mel, it was, yeah, it was Jesus. He's about my size, you know, beard. I mean, this is, whoa, what do I see? Guys, look at the description. John's, John, under the power of the Holy Spirit, memorizes and just sees everything. And this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And, and the thing about it, guys, if you're taking note, this is the only description of Jesus in the entire Bible. This is it. This is who Jesus is. Even during his earthly ministry, Jesus was probably a very ordinary looking person. As a matter of fact, up in Nazareth, when they started getting rowdy, he was so plain looking that he just walked through the crowd. He was that, they didn't, it wasn't like, oh, like you know who, who he was. I mean, just normal guys. As a matter of fact, Isaiah said, he says, listen, Isaiah said he was so average looking, there was nothing uh, handsome or anything about him that we should desire him. He's just a normal guy. But the vision of Jesus, guys, that John receives here is unlike anything in the Bible. Now, why is this important? Because we're going to break down this vision because the Bible says if you want to know God, study Jesus. I want to know about my Jesus. I want to know. Because John saw something so much. Now, remember, we're about to celebrate Jesus in a manger. Okay? This is Christmas in a manger. But this is not baby Jesus in the manger. This is the righteous warrior, the King Jesus coming to judge the world. This is, this is important because this is we need to see him. We need to see him. Okay? Where's... Where, let me ask you this, where do we see Jesus in Scripture? Where do we see him right here? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 13, we see him in the midst of the seven lampstands. Do you guys understand that? The midst of the seven lampstands. Now, you go, Ben, what are the lampstands? Well, in in verse 20, it tells us that the lampstands are the churches. So Jesus is hanging out in the midst of the church. Oh, it's going to get good. It's going to get good. Why? Think about this. This vision that John saw, John, boom, it's full of idioms, guys. It's full of, and and they're full of picture describing the attributes of Jesus as the glorified one in his glorified state. Jesus is standing, where does he see him? He's standing in the midst of the seven lampstands. Now, remember, 
If you're Domitian, Emil, if you're Domitian and you have no idea what the Old Testament says, and I say, hey, I saw Jesus and I described him, and I said he's standing in the midst of the seven lampstands, you're going to think, that Ben's crazy. Well, well, he's worshiping a God. What, what do you mean he's standing in a... But Old Testament, guys, people, the Jewish people would know exactly what he talked about. That's the menorah. He's standing in, and, and, and he says, oh. Why would they call him a lampstand, Alex? Why? I'll tell you why. Because it's a very appropriate description of the church. Because a lampstand, its job is to do what? To give out light. It's like a lighthouse. That's its purpose. Okay? This is the role of the church and believers. To be light in a dark world. You see, the church is not the building. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's made up of individual believers. Now, let's chat, okay? It's going to get deep. If the role of my life, the role of believers, is to what? Is to be a light, then I'm following after Jesus. Why? Because in John chapter 8, Jesus actually said, I am the light of the world. Okay, so Jesus is the light, I'm going to be a light. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world, a city that's set upon a hill. Um, Let your light shine in such a way. Okay, you are the light whether you like it or not. Can I get an amen? question is, dun, 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 dun. what kind of light are you giving out? What? See, our light as believers, our light should be like the moon. You go, why? Because the moon reflects the light of the sun. And we should reflect the light of Christ. Okay? We should reflect the light of Christ. Now, I love because Jesus is right in the middle of the church. Now, you need to understand, that's a place he loves. That's a place he loves. Where does Jesus love to be, Rosa? He loves to be right in the middle of his church. Every prayer you pray, every worship you give, every act of kindness you do, Listen, Jesus sees and hears. Think about it. When Talia comes and you guys in the band lead worship, it should be leading worship for an audience of one. Because Jesus is here. When I preach, I want to make sure I'm preaching and honoring my king in an audience of one. But he hears us. He, what kind of, he hears us. He hears us. Why? Because he loves you so much, guys, that he can't take his eyes off you. He wants to be here. He wants to be with us. Here's where we've missed it. Hey, hey, we're having Wednesday night church. Y'all coming? I guess. I don't know. No, Jesus is here. He's here, and he wants to meet with us. He wants to listen to our prayers, Amanda. He, he wants to see your face. But it can also be sober and can't it? Because you're going, uh, Pastor, did you say Jesus is here? Yeah. Why is it sobering? 
because he also sees every need that gets ignored and every opportunity that's missed. And let me say this to you. He hears every word of gossip that's spoken and every backbiting that's uttered. We forget that. Oh, let me, let me, let me tell you about, did you, did you hear about so-and-so? I said, oh yeah, there's, there's, and I was saying, God's going, really? Because Jesus is here. And so, upon studying that, I'm going, Lord, I don't want to, no. Well, Ben, there's no perfect church. I agree, but here should be our prayer. Our prayer should be that we should be conforming into his image. That should be our prayer. Guys, to say that Jesus is in the midst of the church is to recognize his central place of authority and to acknowledge his sovereign presence. We invite him here. So he's in the midst. What's he doing? He's watching. He's listening. He's blessed by some, grieved by others. But let's notice how John describes him. You guys ready? We'll move to these pretty quick. Okay, what's the first thing John sees? John sees, oh my goodness, John sees Jesus wearing a long flowing robe. You got got that? That's the first thing. Okay, his robe, jot this down, it speaks of majesty and greatness. Okay, in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, it says this, check it out, It's it's on the screen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings and had covered uh, its face, two had covered his face and two had covered his feet and two flew and the other cried and said, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled, is full of his glory. Okay. So what does he see? He sees men, he sees the train of his robe. It filled the temple. You go, Beverly, what does that mean? Well, listen, Beverly, I've done quite a few weddings, and I've seen a good size of trains on the wedding dress. They come all the way down, but I've never seen a train filled the sanctuary. John and Isaiah says, I see the Lord in his long flowing robe, and Isaiah said, man, it fills the temple. Wherever he went, his glory was felt and his majesty, his majesty was seen. Guys, Christianity, in its purest form, is nothing more than seeing Jesus. Christian service, in its purest form, is nothing more than imitating him who we see. To see his majesty, to imitate him, that's the sum of Christianity. Something happens to a person who has witnessed his majesty. One glimpse of the king and you are consumed with a desire of more of him and more of him and more of him. That's what Christianity is about. What's the second thing he sees? Jot this down. He sees the golden sash across his chest. What does that mean? It's a symbol of his righteousness. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 5 says, Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness will be his sash around his waist. Guys, his righteousness. Now let me just say this to you. You are righteous when you are found in Christ because of his righteousness. Mel, you are, you are just as righteous as the Apostle Paul. 
That freaked him out. He's like, ah, no, for real. Because as, 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 as you are found in Christ, you have Christ's righteousness and not your own. That's a good place for an amen. Okay? Because that's the golden sash, righteousness. What's number three? He says, man, I saw, I saw his hair white like wool. You know what that speaks of, guys? Jot this down. It speaks of purity, of purity. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they should be as wool. His eyes were a flame of fire. What does that speak of, guys? That speaks of judgment. His eyes are piercing and penetrating. So John sees this. He's like, oh, man. Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who must give an account. We are told in, in, in Exodus 24.17, The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And of course, Hebrews 12.29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Your attention, please. My God is love. He is great love. He is perfect love, but he's also just and he will also judge. Don't think that the things that are being done, evil, will go unnoticed or unjudged. Because God hasn't stepped in does not mean he doesn't care. He's just giving people a chance to get saved. His grace is is, is amazing. But there's coming a time where he will be the righteous judge. But I love the fact that if you know the Lord, if you know the Lord, his eyes, that's a consuming fire, it doesn't want to burn you up. If you know the Lord, he doesn't want to toast you, but he wants to consume you. Listen to me. He wants to consume you so that your life will burn brightly for him. Okay, I want you guys to, I want you to just look, go, go in your mind a little bit. You can, you, you can just go back in your past, in your mind, and I know that my God has been pursuing you for a long, long time. He's been pursuing you. And he wants, the life he has for you is so amazing. And that's what he wants to do. But fire, let's talk about fire for just a second, right? Fire can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. It depends on your relationship to it. What do you mean? If your house is on fire and you're trapped inside, that's a bad thing. It's a terrifying thing. But that same fire in a fireplace is warm and inviting and safe. So too, if you're right with the Lord, right? Or if you're not right with the Lord and you're fooling around in sin and rebellion, man, those are piercing eyes of conviction. But if you know the Lord and you're walking in fellowship with him, man, those eyes are comforting and assuring, warm and inviting. Number five, he says, I saw his feet. His feet were like fine brass. What does that mean? It's refined in the furnace. Again, guys, the fine brass in the furnace speaks of judgment. Revelation 19.15 says, He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. But to the Jewish person familiar with the Old Testament, two pictures come to mind. What was that? Remember, one would be the brass altar. That's where they would take their sacrifices, right? 
right? They would take their sacrifices and, and, and basically their sin would be judged. Blood shed, sacrifice consumed, boom, on the altar, burned to a crisp. But that consuming fire would also remind them of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you guys remember the fiery furnace? Okay. And then in the midst of that, they go, how many did we throw in there? We threw three. He says, I see four. And one of them is like the Son of Man. Jesus is in there. See, his feet are fine brass refined in the fire. But here's what I love. And if you're taking note, here's some encouragement for you. It's a reminder that his, of his ability to go through the fire for us and with us. So whatever you're going through, know that Jesus is with you and will go through with you. If you're going through a tough time, he's that same one. Number six, and I know I'm moving pretty quick. He says, uh, the voice sounds like many waters. We know he's a trumpet, but it sounds like many waters. This speaks, guys, of his voice being a consuming voice, okay? This isn't a little sound of a little stream. This is a sound of a raging river, kind of like the Niagara Falls. That's his voice. And um, it's just a consuming voice. Number seven. The same time his voice is this raging water. says, out of his mouth came what? A two-edged sword. What does that mean? He's also a warrior. He's a warrior. Ephesians 6 calls it the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. What's he doing? Guys, he's pulling out the word of God. He's pulling out the word of God. What's, what, the word of God can do this. The truth can cut men to the quick, not beating around the bush, and it pierces the very core of our hearts. Let me just say this. That's how you got saved. It was the word of God that pierced through your heart. And you go, oh, I am a sinner. I need Jesus to come and save my soul. I'm not at peace. And it was the word of God. That's why, guys, at Calvary Chapel, we put an intense amount on the word. The word of God. The word of God. Mark Twain said this, quote, Most people are bothered by those scripture passages which they cannot understand. But for me, the passages in scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand, unquote. I thought that was interesting, right? He's like, man, it's the word of God coming alive that convicts me. Man, that's the ones that trouble me. It's the word of God. I find it interesting, quick story. The Bible translators, guys, were first in, um, when they were first in the northern Philippines, the Bible translators, um, they were translating the Bible for the uh, Agatha people. And they ran into trouble with this particular verse in Hebrews uh, 4.12 that we just read, okay? For the word of God is powerful, okay? And because the word powerful in their language was, um, madaganat is basically what it is. And it had a dual meaning. It, the word powerful could mean venomous, 
like stinging bite of a poisonous snake, or it could mean powerful. Or like, we don't know what to put here. This is, the word of God is what? Is, is powerful. What, what do we do? So they go to the cesta and they say, we, how, how do we solve this problem? We need to give a clear meaning. Well, this uh, translator in, uh, response was insightful. He said this quote. He said, well, I think it could mean both things, depending how a person approaches it. If we disregard it, it's like a poisonous snake. But if we live by it, its potency is like medicine. End quote. I thought that was interesting. Powerful. Powerful. Number eight, his countenance was like the sun shining in all its strength. Well, of course, that speaks with, with glory and brilliance. Now, remember, you, you need to understand what John saw. This was not the same Jesus he saw that he left 60 years ago. This is the glory, the brilliance, the resurrected God, the, the glorified body. This is what he's saying. Uh, think about Paul. Do you guys remember when Paul's re- recounting the story, right, on the road to Damascus? He said, I saw light on midday brighter than the sun. That's his glory. We can't even look at the guys. We can't go outside and look at the sun. I mean, we're like, you know, we need sunglasses. And Paul said he was brighter than the sun. Emil, he was so bright. Paul was blind for three days. Wow. What's he saying? He's saying this speaks of brilliance. It's like, wow. So we talked about the voice. We talked about the vision. Now let's look at the veneration. This is the last couple of verses. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, what happens, Joe? I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. You know what John did? He turns around, Mel. He got a glimpse, and he's like, boom. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. This is, this. I mean, think about this, guys. He's, said I felt dead. Listen, I've heard, I've heard so many televangelists, man, they'll, they'll, you'll be flipping through the channels and you'll get to the, you'll get to some of those and, and you'll have somebody in the pulpit and they'll be like, you know what? I, I had Jesus come in my bedroom and he came to me and he visited me in a vision and I said, Jesus! And, and, and I'm going, no, 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 dude, listen, if Jesus came into your room, you should be on your face, flat, in worship. And this is what he says, listen, when I saw Jesus, man, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That's all I had. My strength was vapped. And what did he do? He says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Guys, this is how we should worship God. Make sure we don't take him lightly. Oh, who, who's who? The man upstairs? Who? Who's the man upstairs? No, no, no. We offer worship, veneration. He is God. This is why it's so important that we don't take God's name in vain. We worship him. We say, this is what he is. Guys, think about this. The response of seeing the Lord, his majesty, his holiness, his brilliance, and his glory. You know what Isaiah said? Woe is me. You know what Peter said? I fell to the ground. He said, depart depart from me. Remember what Peter said? Depart from me. 
<laughs> I'm evil. Paul fell to the ground. And you know what he said? Lord, what do you want from me? Wow. In seeing this, guys, we're actually getting a glimpse of Jesus through Scripture. And what it should do, guys, it should produce in our hearts a sense of awe and a sense of fear and a sense of reverence. This is my God. That's why it bothers us, guys, when people use the, 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 the Lord in, a, in vain, in a bad word. Because God doesn't damn anyone. And, and he's so amazing. I think we're in danger, Joe, of losing all reverence for God. We need to spend time worshiping at Jesus' feet. Notice his words. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive again forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. What does Jesus say? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So what's that telling me? Well, here's what it's telling me. It's telling John not to fear because God... Because Christ gave him three reasons of confidence, okay? Let me give you this. If you're here today and you're fearful, let me give you these three. Number one, we don't need to fear life, okay? Why? Because he is the living one. He is the first and the last. He is the author and finisher. We don't have to fear life. But let me give you the number two. We don't need to fear death because he died and he conquered death because he said to us, I'm the one, I am he who lives I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And let me tell you this, number three, we don't need to fear eternity. Why? Because he holds the keys of Hades and death. And he only locks up those that don't know him. We don't need to fear. We don't need to fear life. He's there. Go out and live, man. We don't need to fear death. And we don't need to fear eternity. So as we close, I want to close with the last two verses. Here's what he tells John. He says, write these things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. He gives us the divine outline. Now, just in case you didn't know, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Okay, now... We're going to get into this, but the word angels there, guys, some people translate it as the pastors of the churches. He says, okay, so the seven stars, I'm going to talk to each pastor of the church. And the seven lampstands, guess what? That you saw, these are the seven churches. These are the seven churches. So he gives us what we're going to talk about. So next week... We start with the churches. We start digging into the churches. We start to see the church of Ephesus. But right now, what a description. The vision has just started, and John's already on his face in worship. Here's my, here's my plea to you. Would you do me a favor? And don't even do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Would you just spend some time in worship? Spend worshiping time. Spend with him. Well, Ben, what does that look like? Well, for you, it could be music. 
It could be putting on worship music and, and, and you just, you just, you're in the spirit. For some of you, we could just be alone and in prayer. Supplication. Be going for a walk. Whatever it is, just worship the Lord. Just worship the Lord. I believe, guys, we need a, we need to have fresh attention to his voice so we can hear what he wants us to do. What a great way to start 2021 with fresh new ears and fresh new eyes. And Okay, Lord, what do you have for us? What do you have for us? I'm here. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I never want to leave without giving anyone an opportunity to surrender their lives to Jesus for real. And I know many people are watching online and and maybe God was speaking to you and you're not right with God. My spirit to your spirit is crying out saying, now's the time to surrender to Jesus. And you might not know how. Put your faith and trust in him. Confess your sins, repent, and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Man, we got plenty of people that would love to pray with you and love to walk with you and and love to, to lead you. And, and, and so please, if you're watching online and you've never given your life to the Lord, would you just pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you resurrected. And Lord, what we just learned from you, wow, that's my God. I'm asking you to come into my heart, be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior, and be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, forever I'm yours. If you prayed that prayer, man, we want to welcome you to the family of God. We want to know all about it, so please, 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 please drop a comment. I'd love to love to get you a Bible, get you a Bible study guide. We'd love to just connect with you, man. That's what, that's what we're here to do. Um, we love you. Um, God bless you guys. It's 827. Talia's going to lead this last song, and then you just close. Amen? God bless you. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.